Welcome to the Ogletree Deacons Podcast, a brief discussion of compelling legal issues and practical insights. Please note that the information in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be, nor should it be construed as legal advice. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or through your favorite podcast service. Please consider rating and reviewing so that we may continue to provide the content that covers your needs. Please enjoy the program. Hey, good morning and welcome to another episode of Safety Perspectives from Region 6 with my law partner from Houston, John Surma, and me, Frank Davis, broadcasting from high atop Ogletree Tower in Dallas's Preston Commons Center. Today, John's going to walk us through whether employers get any protection from OSHA when they hire employees from a trade union. That is, when the trade union, quote unquote, promises to provide qualified employees that meet OSHA regulation requirements. Today, we're going to focus on crane operators. Uh, As you know, this podcast series is informational in nature, uh, trying to help our listeners spot issues and better understand the OSHA Act and and how OSHA uh, enforces the OSHA Act. And it it doesn't constitute legal advice. Hey, good morning, John. Good morning, Frank. I do want to tell everybody, and I think it's fair to share, yeah, we aren't just podcast partners and we aren't just law partners, but we actually partnered on a case. It's been a blast working with you. I think we've really added some value for the client having the two of us working on this together. I look forward to doing a lot more with you, both in terms of additional podcasts, um, but as well as uh, the podcast, you know, working on uh, other matters with you going forward. Well, you know, it's always a treat whenever we get to work as a team. It's nice to to be able to work through issues uh, with other lawyers uh, that have similar background and training. I, I find that we get a lot more depth in the analysis, but certainly get some unique perspectives and can really build up a case. And that has certainly occurred in the, in the matter you just referenced. Uh, but with that foundation, let's get right into it. And um, my first question of you, John, is does having a trade union does that guarantee you that you'll receive a qualified candidate that meets OSHA standards? One would think that that would be the case. And one would think that in particular, I mean, we're not talking about, you know, the International Association of Machinists or United Auto Workers. You know, we're talking about the union that is specific to equipment operators. And, you know, one expectation one would have relative to, a union that goes by that title and the union's association with the government, including OSHA, that, yeah, the folks that they provide would, in fact, meet requisite government requirements, requisite OSHA requirements. Let's build on that point. So we've all heard uh, government officials speaking favorably of unions, uh, but we also get that from OSHA, right, talking about well, do you have a union president? We want to include the union. Uh, we think they have valuable insight. The union has valuable insight. We think the union is a valuable partner. So why wouldn't using a union hiring hall benefit an employer during an inspection? Or, or does it benefit an employer during an inspection? In other words, does OSHA give you deference because of it? Frank, to your point about the, you know, kind of the government favor with respect to unions, you know, we've got a president who, as part of his campaign, promised to be the most pro-labor president on record. You know, as you've indicated, OSHA certainly has partnered with 
and includes as part of the process the unions and gives deference to the unions. There is a lack of ability for us to actually look into the minds of the folks that are making decisions relative to, uh, you know, our employers going to be treated more favorably because they have a union operator or because they're a union shop. You know, it does seem as though there is, you know, some grace or some latitude that is afforded to unionized workforces um, or, or, or using folks that come from the unions and, and you know, almost kind of taken as a matter of course, particularly when you're talking about, you know, particular trades or crafts, that if they're a union tradesperson or a union craftsperson, that they're qualified. But that I think you said at the beginning of that response, or, or maybe in your previous response, that that tends to be a subjective qualifier. In other words, it's, there's not an objective standard that OSHA adopts, but it would be subjective from maybe the area office, how they generally feel uh, about unions and what unions provide. That's correct. And, and, and I mean, look, the unions don't contract with employers and promise as part of the contract that they're going to be providing somebody that meets the requirements for a qualified person under one of the standards promulgated by the OSH Act. But I do think there is, you know, kind of a general perception, and I don't think it's necessarily invalid, but that if you qualify for union membership or if, if the tradesperson, craftsperson that you've hired to work in a job qualifies for union membership, that they are going to be qualified, certified, what have you, that they're probably going to do at least a reasonably decent job of whatever trade or craft they're engaged in. So you referenced at the top of the podcast, the case that we have that we're working together, where a trade union recommended an employee as a crane operator. And ultimately, that employee was hired by the employer. What, what did the union tell the employer about the employees that they would recommend? Well, and, and Frank, I would say that there's a precursor here, and our audience needs to know this statement that was made was not something that was simply made in a verbal communication, but the statement was made in an email, and the union told the employee. Told the employer. Excuse me. Thank you. <laughs> told them in an email, we can man any crane you have with a certified operator that has experience in your field of work. That seems very specific. So did the union actually recommend an employee that was certified? Well, yes and no. So the crane operator was able to present his card, his NCCCO or CCO card that documented that he was certified by the National Commission for the Certification of Crane Operators as a qualified operator. That's what is we that, got. Yeah. So is, is that the end of the story? Huh. The hesitation at the end of the last question <laughs> might have foreshadowed, maybe, <laughs> that that isn't exactly what we got. So what did we get? Well, you're aware that there's a website where employers can go and check the credentials of folks that are CCO or NCCCO certified, right? Right. And you know that employers or OSHA or, or the general public can go and 
verifying operator's credentials there, right? Of course. Well, that's where it gets interesting. Uh, interesting how? Well, you haven't been hired in forever. I've been hired, you know, a little over two years ago now. And I mean, you know that hiring doesn't take place in one day. I mean, it's rare anymore that you just walk into a place of employment, put in your application, submit your resume, go through whatever interviews and get hired that day. I mean, it's it's typically not a single day process, right? Yeah, right. To kind of answer the, the question that I think is kind of woven in there, when this particular operator was hired, the CCO website would have indicated that he, in fact, was a certified operator, certified by NCCCO to operate the crane. However, that changed five days later when that employee, actually a day before the employee actually started to do work. It would have been the day the employee started work, except on the day the employee was to start work, he got lost and couldn't find the job. And so his actual start date was a day later. That is interesting. So on the day he was, had been hired and on the day he was scheduled to start work, uh, the website showed his CCO certification was valid. No, no. So on the day he was hired, it showed he was valid. Yeah, that's and what it, I said. Well, and at some time during the day he was supposed to start working, it transitioned from saying it was valid to now having a message that says the number you have entered cannot be found. Please verify the accuracy of the number and resubmit. And then it offered some options if you thought that the message was an error and, and gave you the ability to reach out to somebody at NCCCO to inquire as to what was going on. Yeah, I guess my point in my previous question was they start work on most construction uh, sites really early in the morning before CCO is updating the website, right? Correct. Um, Anyway, so what you're telling me is that the operator came to the employer, presented valid credentials, and then a few days later, CCO invalidated those credentials. Correct. Do you have any idea why it happened that way? Well, as a matter of fact, I do. Really? Wow. That was almost like a setup question. So were you going to share the details or should we build more suspense? You know, I don't think we can build any more suspense. I'm sure our audience is just <laughs> waiting with bated breath on the edge of their seats, trembling in anticipation. Have I ever kept anything from you, Frank? Ever? Uh, uh, yeah, I can't think of a single thing. But then yeah. again, if you kept it from me, maybe I wouldn't know about it. Yeah, is there are some details that you know remain kind of out of the public domain that I can't really speak about. But there's a bunch of details that we've been able to gather um, as a result of a lawsuit that was filed. This crane operator received his certification and at some point, and, and, and there's a lawsuit filed and, and folks that are curious about it, uh, you know, can, can hunt that lawsuit down. But the NCCCO determined that a number of the folks that were certified by that organization were engaged in testing fraud as relates to both the written and the practical portion of the exam. So I know the, the high-level details, and they're interesting. Uh, would you share the high-level details from the lawsuit with our listeners? 
Yeah, and our, our, our audience might be surprised. We've actually talked about this lawsuit before, so that you know kind of helps you understand this. Um, it, it, it helps formulate the questions too. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, <clears throat> absolutely. And uh, I apologize, my voice is getting a little bit froggy there. Um, so they evaluated uh, 2,000 test score sheets and interviewed a bunch of folks. And the, the lawsuit lays this out in, in a pretty good level of detail, pretty understandable level of detail. But basically what they ultimately determined was that offered people who were taking the test what they refer to as quote unquote test insurance. The NCCCO alleges in the lawsuit that 285 people cheated on the written test and that 161 people cheated on the practical test. Um, NCCCO goes so far as to claim that some people didn't even appear for the tests. That's some really good insurance. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, insurance to me, test insurance to me means, yeah, you're not going to fail the test. It doesn't mean you don't show up. But, you know, they apparently paid a fee and, and secured the, the credentials without testing. And it's one of those things where even with respect to the practical testing, in some cases, the allegations suggest that folks appeared but didn't take the test. And other allegations appear to indicate that folks didn't even show up. And so it's a pretty, pretty scandalous situation. I mean, maybe it doesn't rise to the same level as the college gate um, or whatever they called the, the college admission scandal that caught up a number of celebrities a few years back. But I mean, certainly from the standpoint of folks that are hiring people that think they're certified crane operators, this is reason to give pause and, 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 you know, be a little bit freaked out. I'll tell you. So it looks like there could be as many as 446 affected crane operators. What happened to those folks who engaged in this, I call it a scheme? Yeah. And, and, and I think there's some overlap between the 285 on the written and the 161. But yeah, I mean, you're right. I mean, it's upwards of 400 people could be involved. NCCCO reached out to those that believed engaged in the fraud and asked that they submit to retest. According to the lawsuit, less than one quarter of the folks that were contacted and asked to retest actually responded to that request. And of those that retested, so of the quarter. Say it's a hundred people that retested. Right. Only 14% of that 100 or 14 people were able to pass the test. So 14 out of 400 plus. Yes. Yes. So, I mean, we're assuming that we're talking about 400 plus, you know, it could be 285, you know, but who knows what the actual number is. But, you know, there's a couple hundred quote unquote certified crane operators out there that do not have credentials. So how does this play out in terms of the website and the error message? Well, in terms of the the error message, and I guess maybe the the easiest way to say this is on December 20th, NCCCO basically uh, disqualified, terminated, decertified, whatever term you want to apply, the folks that were involved and hadn't taken the steps necessary to recertify or retest. 
only 64 of 270 people who'd been contacted at that point had been retested. So is that the number of 14% of 64 that actually made it through? Was that about seven, eight people? Yeah. That's worse than what we said a minute ago. Goodness. Well, it it is. And so what happened to those who didn't respond or, or didn't pass? Well, so let's go back to address part of your comment there. The allegations in the lawsuit are a little bit, I don't want to say contradictory, but vague. It, yeah. But I mean, it's it, we're assuming somewhere between 14 and, you know, 6, 8 um, actually passed the test on retest. And, and so to answer the actual question that was posed three minutes later, NCCCO terminated their certifications. Terminated everybody except for that six to 14 people. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So if, so if an employer had hired one of those individuals that had bought test insurance, let's say, uh, they've, got, they've got less than a 14% chance that one of their people is still certified. Is that, is that the moral of the story? Well, assuming we're starting off at... 285 it's much smaller than that and if we're talking about 400 oh yeah it's, it's a quarter it's 164th right so yeah. one, 164th of yeah the, uh, one one in 64 chance that one of their people is still certified you're right 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 it's a very very small chance you know and and, and the problem is our licenses if we're subject to discipline you know we are really the only ones that receive notice of it our employer doesn't necessarily receive notice of it. You know, there, for us, there's a public component in as much as the Bar Association is going to publish for the world to see that our license has been revoked and there's probably going to be some level of like the local newspaper or what have you picking up. But with this, you know, the NCCCO reaches out to the person who's the crane operator. The crane operator is the only person they reach out to they don't reach out to the employer. And so the employer can have someone working for them and have no idea that that person had their certification revoked. So at the beginning, uh, you said that December 20th, 2022 was a magic date. Is that true for all these uh, all these operators? If their certification was revoked, it was as of December 20th, 2022? Correct. And, and so an employer that hasn't checked the certification of their crane operator since December 20th, 2022 or before may be employing a crane operator whose certification has since been revoked. Is that a fair summary? That's absolutely correct. It's hard to believe, that, but is OSHA saying that the employer is responsible for going back and checking a website on a periodic basis to see if something's changed with their crane operator certifications? Well, based on the work we're doing, that seems to be the position OSHA's taking. It seems to put employers in kind of an untenable mode because, I mean, honestly, when you get that card, it may not say anything about who the actual provider was. And so is OSHA saying it's not enough to simply see the CCO card? They haven't articulated it in so many words, but that appears to be the case. Yeah. I mean, it appears that the employer has an expectation to call the testing company or check the CCO website 
to ensure that the certification is still valid. Now the question ultimately comes down to how many times are you expected to do that? Surely the OSHA standard explains, right? Really? <laughs> you, you, mean, you mean the OSHA standard doesn't resolve the question? Employers are just supposed to know this intuitively? Well, let's just start off with the simple answer. No, the OSHA standard doesn't resolve the question. And it's not clear from the OSHA standards what the actual expectation OSHA has of employers who have crane operators working for them. Now, you know, 1926-1427 does speak about certification and certification by accredited crane operator testing organization, such as NCCCO. But in terms of what the employer is supposed to do relative to verifying that those credentials are correct, and, and I mean, look, the reality is in today's day and age with all the technology that we have and given how old the standard is, you know, there, there are certainly, you know, I don't know that when the standard was written, they were anticipating the technology that we have today, but assuming, you know, back in the day of phone lines, faxes, paper and pen, surely there was no expectation when the standard was written that the employer would periodically through the employment of a certified crane operator, reach back out and keep confirming that that person is in fact still certified. I mean, it's absolutely silent as to the methodology that the employer is supposed to engage in to verify the credentials of their crane operators. It's also absolutely silent as to whether there's an expectation that periodically after the, the person is employed that you check to confirm that in fact they're still certified. And I mean, Frank, this is a case that's kind of near and dear to us because this involves this particular crane operator. But I did a little bit of sniffing around on the internet about this. Yeah, this is by no means the first time NCCCO has litigated a matter against a crane certification company. And as I understand it, the lawsuits that are filed are only typically filed against the certifying entities that refuse to stop doing what they're alleged to be doing wrong. So there's probably been a bunch of companies over the years that have done things that would jeopardize certifications, but only a handful of lawsuits filed because there was only a handful of companies that you know resisted the, the demands that they stopped doing what their alleged wrongdoing was. Let me ask you this. I'm going to ask you the ultimate question. Given that in our case, the crane operator's CCO certification was valid on the data hire. Could there have been a violation of the act? I don't know how. Me neither. I mean, I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, circumstances change all the time. And if he would have shown up with a card, let's say he's hired on December 16th. He goes to the work where he actually starts his first day of work on December 21st. And let's say he showed up with a card that said that it was good until December 20th. That's a completely different set of circumstances. You as the employer at that point in time know that on December 20th, his, his credentials expire. And so he needs to get recertified. Here you have a card that I don't recall what it says in terms of the actual expiration date on it. 
but it was sometime past when he started working. Why would you have any reason to double check to see that, in fact, his certification hadn't been withdrawn? I don't know. But and the regulation is silent on the issue as well. Absolutely. I, I, I just don't understand OSHA's position on it. And maybe a judge will have to explain it to OSHA, why their position is wrong. I would, it's kind of my parting words relative to this podcast. I've been listening to another one titled Cautionary Tales. To me, this is kind of a cautionary tale for those who employ certified crane operators. Maybe you do need to be periodically checking the website and confirming that your crane operators are in fact certified in the off chance they are someone who's attended one of these locations where the certification process is put in jeopardy by NCCCO. Uh, well, based on the conversation today and the information you've learned, it might not be a bad idea to check today to verify that those crane operators uh, are uh, are still certified by whichever agency certified them. John, brilliant presentation as always. Great talking to you today. We're going to sign off and uh, see you next time on another episode of uh, Tales from Region 6. Safety Perspectives from Region 6 will return in two weeks with, uh, with our next installment. Uh, hope to see you there. Frank, look forward to working with you more and seeing you in a couple of weeks. Thank you for joining us on the Ogletree Deacons podcast. You can subscribe to our podcasts on Apple Podcasts or through your favorite podcast service. Please consider rating and reviewing so that we may continue to provide the content that covers your needs. And remember, the information in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be construed as legal advice.